Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. You know, I'm used to having that opening every time we open the 48 Days Online Radio Show, and sometimes I don't pay attention, but you know, listen to that again. The announcer says, do you love your work? Well, you're about to find out. Well, I suspect that you already know if you love your work or if you don't. Now, if you don't, stay with us. We're going to give you some principles for how you can move into work, finding it or creating it, work that you love, that's purposeful, meaningful, and profitable. And if you do love your work, congratulations. You're not part of the maddening crowd out there that's complaining about everything being bad. You've already found work that you do love. Way to rock. Too many options out there for us to settle for less. Life is too short. It ought to be that way. And yet I continue to hear from people day after day after day who are in work where they're miserable, they're frustrated, discouraged, depressed, and more. Well, you're not trapped. The good news is you're not trapped. If you are in work that is not enjoyable, you can move on. Some of the questions we've got today address exactly that. Can you move on? I'm, I'm going to title some of my comments today. Behind a little poem I'll read you. Title, or, well, uh, my line is, the man who wins is the man who thinks he can. You'll recognize the poem as I get into that. But here's some of the questions we're going to be dealing with today. These come from you, the listeners. Every week I open that little email file that's accumulated all week long. See the questions tumble out of there from you, the listeners, real life questions. If you got a question, you can go to the link at 48days.com. Click on the podcast link and you'll get an opportunity there to submit your question. Be happy to Address that in an upcoming show. Here's some of the ones for today. Should I stay with a company and a service I don't believe in or move on? Well, now, sometimes I kid about people tossing me softballs here. Obviously, that's one. You know where I'm going to go with that, but we'll discuss it. Should you stay with a company and a service you don't really believe in if you're getting a good paycheck? Someone wants to know, Dan, can I make money delivering eulogies? Be an interesting business. Can I create my resume without showing the company I currently work for? All right. There may be reasons for that. We'll discuss how to handle that. Dan, how do you keep independent contractors without offering health insurance? Well, we're hearing a lot about that these days, aren't we? A lot of concerns about how health insurance is going to be handled. Is it always the uh, obligation, I guess, of the person who's providing work to provide health insurance? We'll talk about that. Dan, I have passions, but they're random. What should I do? And here's one. This is interesting. I called for information on piano tuning and the lady I talked with basically told me I was too old to start this. I'm 61. We'll talk about that. Are you too old to start piano tuning business? Well, here's the little poem I wanted to start off with today called The Victor. You've probably heard this, been around forever since Adam and Eve, I think, but it's one we need to be reminded of once in a while. The Victor. It goes like this. If you think you are beaten, you are. If you think you dare not, you don't. If you like to win but think you can't, it's almost a cinch you won't. If you think you'll lose, you're lost. For out in the world we find success begins with a fellow's mind. It's all in the state of mind. If you think you are outclassed, you are. 
You've got to think high to rise. You've got to be sure of yourself before you can ever win the prize. Life's battles don't always go to the stronger or faster man, but sooner or later, the man who wins is the man who thinks he can. Well, it's almost like a little nursery rhyme as we get get toward the end there. But that's so true. It's not just a trite, cliche, little positive thinking exercise or a little kid's poem. But sooner or later, the man who wins is the man who thinks he can. Our thinking leads us. Last week, we talked a little bit about the law of attraction that comes up again and again and again. But yes, our thinking leads into our reality. Be careful what you think about Well, I've been talking to a lot of interesting people this week. My goodness, there's so many interesting situations out there. I hardly know where to start in terms of what people are experiencing. I just got off the phone with a guy who I have known for probably 20 years and haven't talked to in probably five or six years, maybe more than that. But he's building a house out of an airplane fuselage. Now, I think it's a pretty stinking cool idea. I had someone send me recently a video where they took two tractor trailers, the trailers or cargo bends really, and just put two together on the ground, cut an archway in between them, use that archway to create an awning out to one side, put a door in a few windows and had this really attractive little house. The video went through the construction of it and it, it amazes me. I'm always amazed and thrilled to see things that are repurposed, to see products that are just junk trash and somebody figures out a way to repurpose it. I mean, they take old tires and turn it into beautiful mulch. You know, you take old sawdust and all of a sudden you got new products. You know, I take old wood chips, you know, just trees, wood chips that they need to throw away, put them out here in my property. And we've got all kind of beautiful nature trails. I was working on those just over the weekend again. Love the nature trails that we've got on our property from old discarded wood chips. But there are so many things like that, that it seems that people uh, see as just trash. And my buddy Tim is building a house out of an airplane fuselage. I'll keep you posted on that. He's going to document it with video and all that. So it'll be kind of a neat thing to see develop. I was reading in the new wired magazine article about Jack Dorsey. Jack Dorsey is a young guy. looks like he's about 28. I'm not sure exactly how old he is, but he's pretty young. And he's the one who came up with Twitter. I'm not sure you say invented with it when it's a concept like that. But anyway, came up with the idea of Twitter. Of course, we know that's been, pretty much a big phenomenon, but he's also the same guy that came up with the square. Now the square, if you're not familiar with it is a little white square that you can just plug in the little access port in your iPhone or iPad, and you can then swipe credit cards through that. I mean, we do that whenever we do remote locations. I mean, we used to just, we'd have the old knuckle busters, the credit card machines, you put a credit card in there and you slam it through and it makes a carbon copy. And then we bring that back and then process those manually back at the office. Well, we don't do it that anymore. We use a square. We use it on an iPad, iPad screen. You can pull up any of our products. You can just tap on them, any combination of products, get a total, swipe the person's credit card through there. It automatically totals everything, tax, everything that we need in there. They sign it with their finger on the, uh, on the iPhone or iPad, just sign it with their finger and it immediately sends them a receipt to their email. It's pretty phenomenal. Now there are new generations of the square coming out. Now, Jack Dorsey just saw a need there. Now this is interesting because we already had major players like PayPal and then, of course, 
Visa, MasterCard, American Express. I mean, they're major processors of financial transactions. Why didn't one of those come up with a square? Here we've got a kid sitting in a coffee shop thinking, hey, it'd be cool, you know, if we just make this portable so we wouldn't have to have such a complicated process to record people's financial transactions, their ability to pay. I mean, we have, he, he saw people being unable to make a purchase because there was no way to accept their credit card. That's really what prompted what he was doing. So this can be used in the middle of Africa, Nigeria somewhere, as long as they have cell service where you don't even have to have landlines. You don't have to have the old antiquated kind of machinery to process credit cards as a merchant. The technology continues to be tweaked. He now has the technology so that if you download the Square app onto your iPhone, you have that in your pocket. You walk into your favorite coffee shop. It alerts them that you're in the store. Now, this can get kind of kind of spooky if you aren't careful, I guess. But it alerts them that you're in the store because you have an iPhone in your pocket that has the Square app on it. And it comes up and says, ooh, Dan's in the store. What, What if I... What what if I walked into Taco Bell on Wednesdays and it alerted them instantly when I pulled in the parking lot, Dan Mellor's here. He's got his granddaughter Clara with, with him. Like usual on Wednesdays, he gets a seven layer and a small drink. She gets a kid's meal with a bean burrito and cinnamon twist. And they know that before I ever walk in the door. Hey Dan, you want your normal order? Boom. Good to see you again. I mean, how would that change customer service? Well, I I think it's cool when there are those kind of things that technology offers us. Technology continues to open the door. Just because technology is available doesn't mean that we have to use it. I mean, I personally don't use Twitter. Now, I want to be careful saying that because you probably get tweets. If you're following me, you get tweets from the 48 Days team. But now that that is who you get them from, the 48 Days team. Uh, I personally just uh, don't take the time to, to use that. Just because it's available doesn't mean that we have to use it. You can tie yourself up where all you're doing is jumping from one technology thing to the next and not getting anything really done. I mean, my time is spent, my productive time is spent writing, thinking, creating content. So I don't interrupt that time with a whole lot of other things that may be cool, but not necessarily things that I want to integrate into my work day. Now, another thing, just one more thing, and then I want to go into the questions that we've got today. I am talking to a lot of people. Maybe it's because of my age. I'm not sure. But but I'm encountering a lot of people who feel like they're reaching the end of their work time. Part of it has to do with this new book I got coming out, Wisdom Meets Passion. And I'll be telling you more about that in the next few weeks, the next 30 days. We really, I'm trying not to do a whole lot related to that until August 1st. This is the last week in June, but we really have another 30 days before we're going to start promotion on that. But Certainly the book is already written. It's being printed. We've got all kinds of media things in place. I'm going to do some cool things with the release of that. But because of the content there that a lot of media people have already seen, I'm being contacted by a lot of organizations that are dealing with people at both ends of the work continuum. Those who are just coming in the Gen Y group, 75 million strong, 17 to 32 years of age, the corporate America's concerns about them coming into the workplace. I've talked about that. And also the concerns about the baby boomers who are leaving the work environment saying, gee, all I ever did was get a paycheck. I never really did fulfill my dreams. I never did what I was passionate about. Never really figured out my purpose, meaning destiny or calling. 
Wow, those are tough questions. But a lot of people are saying, you know, I'm not sure I really accomplished anything. Did my life really matter? One of Brendan Bichard's and his his basic formula is did I live, did I love, did I matter? Did I live, did I love, did I matter? A lot of people are asking themselves, did I matter? And thinking, did I really matter? Did I really make a difference? What if you're the janitor at a high school? Did your work really matter? Or did you just keep the place clean and nobody was ever the better for it? Well, there were probably interactions that you had. Reminded me of Mr. Holland's opus. Remember that great movie? Who was that? Richard Dreyfuss in that, I think. And he wanted to write a symphony. That's what he wanted to do. He wanted to have a symphony that would people would remember him for. You know, Beethoven's Fifth Symphony or something like that. And all of a sudden, he was being forced to retire from school and realize that, you know, he hadn't done that. And yet there's that real poignant moment in the film. Hey, I want to pick up a little clip here from that film, from the movie, Mr. Holland's Opus, where he was feeling pretty discouraged about the way his life had unfolded. And then they threw that surprise party for him in the auditorium on the very last day. He was walking down the hall and he started to hear little strains of music that he thought was familiar. Well, this is where it picks up. Mr. Holland had a profound influence on my life, on a lot of lives, I know. And yet I get the feeling that he considers a great part of his own life misspent. Rumor had it he was always working on this symphony of his, and this was going to make him famous, rich, probably both. But Mr. Holland isn't rich, and he isn't famous, at least not outside of our little town. So it might be easy for him to think himself a failure. And he would be wrong. Because I think he's achieved a success far beyond riches and fame. Look around you. There is not a life in this room that you have not touched. And each one of us is a better person because of you. We are your symphony, Mr. Holland. We are the melodies and the notes of your opus, and we are the music of your life. Well, it's a moving scene. I'm always reminded of my own brother, who was a school teacher in a little tiny town up in Amish country in Ohio for his entire working life. And yet when I go up there, we cannot walk into the hardware store or the fruit stand or go to an auction without having multiple people come up and talking about the impact that he had on their lives. He had literally generations where he taught the, the moms and dads and then taught their kids because of his long span in teaching. But uh, sometimes we underestimate perhaps the impact that our life has had if we've done something simple. If our name was never in lights or on the cover of a book or on the marquee of a movie theater, you may think, well, did I really matter? And yet I see people whose lives mattered dramatically. Uh, we need to help help each other recognize the value in the lives that we're living. How did our lives matter? Even if we weren't rich and famous, how did our lives matter? And most of us can uncover a whole lot of things if we really take the time to look at that. Well, let's go to the questions. Ryan from Nebraska says, Dan, I love your advice and the hope you give it to so many people. My wife and I are at a crossroads in our lives and we want to do what is right for our family. 
We've spent the last four and a half years farming and ranching and enjoy the lifestyle, but have the constant desire to be around people and bless their lives. My dream is to go into full-time training and coaching, which I am currently working toward. The problem is I feel bad about leaving my current employer because he depends on me so much and is a good friend. Because of the time we've spent working together, we've found a house to buy that would work nicely in town, but it's hard for us to take the leap. Any advice would be helpful. Thanks in advance. Well, Ryan, great question. I appreciate your sensitivity to what you're doing now. But you can't live your life based on the expectations of other people. Now, that's kind of a blanket statement for where you are, but ultimately you'll end up resenting that. The biggest regret that people who are approaching death have as they speak it so clearly, the number one regret is I wish I had had the courage to live a life authentic to myself rather than living out the the expectations of others. So if what's keeping you on the farm is your friendship with this guy and his desire to have you there, that's not enough. You can't just bury your own dreams and end up serving anybody well over a long period of time. Your friend would likely not want that. You need to have an open conversation with him to tell him about this new season in your life that you're excited about and what you're moving into. And if he's the man that you describe him as, if he's a true friend, he ought to be happy for your enthusiasm, your clarity about what you're moving to. And he ought to wish you well as you move into that next chapter of your life. But have that conversation, put those plans in place, create a transition line for yourself and move into that. You certainly don't hear me talking about just negating or ignoring the value of friendships or the importance of loyalty. That's not it at all. This is not about being selfish and narcissistic, but it's about releasing the very best God has put in you. And if you know that's in training and coaching, and that's what's going to be required of you to unleash that, then you have to do that. You can't just push that down. So, Trust your sense of peace about what you're moving toward. You've got the support of your wife. Move into that with your head held high and confidence that you'll be successful in doing that. Taylor from Tennessee says, I'm 22 and work with a janitorial service doing night cleaning and sales. I'm the only employee and the owner is a family friend. Again, we got another business connection here with family friend. However, he has no marketing Skills and a terrible sales strategy, if you can call it that. Also, he doesn't do a very good job cleaning, and the company really hasn't grown at all in 10 plus years. I'm finding it hard to really sell this service since I don't believe in the company. I want to start my own cleaning company in the future that uses entree leadership principles, that's Dave Ramsey's material, to do things with excellence but I'm trying to learn this business and it seems I'm mostly learning what not to do. Should I stick with it and learn the sales strategy with no marketing, nothing what I'd like to do in my own company or move on? Well, Taylor, you've identified some pretty key points here that make it easy to give an answer. You're with a company that you don't believe in and you're selling a service that you don't even think is done well, that you're expected to provide, fulfill, and sell and promote to other people. You can't do that. Talk about non-authenticity. I mean, that'll give you ulcers trying to sell something you don't really believe in yourself. I mean, that's where the old model of selling that gets such a bad name comes from. 
somebody that's trying to push something off. You're trying to, you know, sell that old Chevy that's got a erect transmission in it and you know it, but you put bananas in the crankcase this morning to kind of keep it going one more day so you can sell. That's not what we want. Nobody wants to be a part of that kind of operation. If you're with a company that you don't believe in and they're providing a service that you don't believe in or think is being done well, yes, it is time to move on pronto. Now, if you can move into doing the same thing yourself, I mean, cleaning services, is, is, that's pretty uh, a pretty easy thing to get into, and it's going to be based on your reputation, your reliability, and the quality of work that you do, but you can have that up and running in 30 days. Go out and knock on 40 doors, you're going to get people who say, sure, we'll give you a shot at that. If you do good work, you're going to develop a client list. I mean, my buddy Sutton Parks just talked to Sutton this morning. I mean, that's what he's done. He got into that recognizing that was something he could do with excellence without specific training or academic background. He could do that. Well, he has very loyal, faithful customers. He does commercial work so he can go in there at night where he doesn't have to interrupt the things that he does during the day or the music things that he's involved in. So he structured his customers so it would fit what he wanted personally. Yeah, you can do that, but absolutely you need to move on. No question about it. Got to move on. Well, that's just a little transition there to let us know we are, you are listening to 48 Days Online Radio. I'm Dan Meller. The 48 Days comes from a book title from a few years ago, 48 Days to the Work You Love, where I describe that as an adequate period of time for people to identify where they are, create a new plan of action, develop a plan, and act. 48 Days is long enough to do that. If you got a question you'd like for us to talk about on here, just go to the 48days.com website, click on the podcast link. You'll see a little box jump up, give you the opportunity to submit your question. I'd be happy to introduce that or consider it for an upcoming show. As you can tell, they cover a broad range of topics, starting your own business, finding your passion, finding a job that is fitting dealing with tough kind of situations in business as the first couple questions here today have addressed any of those are fair game but it all has to do with finding or creating work that is meaningful fulfilling purposeful and profitable let's go on Catherine from california says my nephew passed away after an automobile accident at a young age I wrote a eulogy for him and also wrote one for a young man several years ago who stayed in our home for three years during and after high school, but after moving home, committed suicide. I was a member of the NFL National Forensic League in high school and took public speaking in college. People told me my eulogy spoke to their heart. I would like to help other people write a eulogy for a loved one. I could write from their memories and or help them with their delivery cadence and inflection is key to a good eulogy because I am a stranger. They might be more comfortable dealing with me when practicing. I could also deliver eulogies locally. What do you think? Well, I I love the idea, but we have to look at it practically in terms of how could you turn this into a money-making opportunity? And and you can believe me, I'm going to tell you some ways that you can but to take it right from the top in terms of how you're describing it for you to be paid for your services, to sit down with somebody and help them write a eulogy is like a needle in a haystack. That would be a really difficult business to ever get up and running and have any kind of sustainability at all. I mean, when you think about it, most people 
who are going to produce and deliver a eulogy don't know three days in advance they're going to do it. So this is not something that you can, you know, run ads in the yellow pages and somebody says, oh yeah, you know, 16 years from now, I may have to deliver a eulogy for my mom or dad or my brother. So I need to go learn how to do, they just don't do that. You know that nobody prepares for delivering a eulogy until the time is right there when it has to be done. I mean, with my own dad, I did deliver the eulogy, but in as much as we had all the things mapped out for his funeral, and who was going to speak and all that. When the children got together after his death, the night after his death, we all decided that one of us really ought to give a eulogy. Nobody knew our dad, even the outside speakers that we were going to have in were good friends, but a lot of them hadn't had contact with him in the last 10 years because he was in a nursing home. So we decided one of us needed to deliver a eulogy. Well, you can guess where that's going to go, where the, who got the short straw? Sure. That was me. I'm the middle child of five, but I got the, chosen to do that. And so created that, you know, before like nine o'clock the next morning. But I don't think that there's a real market, a way to position yourself as somebody who helps people write eulogies where you do it one-to-one like that. Now let me address the other part of your question. Then I'm going to back up a little bit and tell you how you can make lots of money with what you're describing. I also think it would be extremely difficult to get opportunities where you would be paid to deliver eulogies for other people. I mean, even if you're the best eulogy writer in the world to, for you to be in the right place at the right time to be available for people to know about you, it's, it's way too difficult logistics to ever get that in position where you would be have any kind of reasonable engagements for that. You could be close friends with five funeral homes in your local community where they all knew about you. And even there, it's going to be so spotty and so rare that somebody would agree to bring in somebody outside. I mean, usually a eulogy is going to be delivered by a close friend or family member. And to go outside of that, that's going to be such a rarity that I don't think there's any way in the world you could make that work as a business. I can't imagine. I mean, I've delivered several eulogies, but I can't imagine somebody just having a hired gun, somebody who's a good speaker just to come in and do that. No, they're going to want to have somebody who had a personal connection with the deceased in order to deliver a eulogy from the heart. Now I commend you on your ability to help per person go to the heart and help them know how to present. Well, I think those are important. I've heard some horrendous eulogies. Matter of fact, just a couple weeks ago, uh, went, with our daughter-in-law to a family member's funeral and somebody delivered a eulogy and it was embarrassing. I mean, there were just a handful of people there, so it wasn't a big deal, but it was, it was really embarrassing. Should have been for him and for everybody there. I'm sure that it was, but uh, certainly not something that he did well as most people are not prepared to do. So your skills can provide value, but here's how you're going to have to do it. Create a little product whether it's a 50 page manifesto or whether it's a 10 minute audio program that you can do with an MP3 upload or a physical CD on how to deliver a eulogy, how to deliver a compelling eulogy. Now, if you go, if you just do a Google search on that, you're going to find there's a lot of things out there, but there's a whole lot of things that you can purchase. Here's how this will go. So Dan Meller sits down on Tuesday night realizes he has to deliver a eulogy, 
for somebody that did not know extremely well on Wednesday morning, the next morning, I'm not going to want to go through a course. I'm not going to look for somebody to meet with next week. I'm going to want to know information instantly. Correct. I mean, it's pretty easy to, to see how that's going to unfold. That means I'm going to want to have access to that information within the next three minutes. How am I going to do that? It's obviously going to have to be delivered online. So if you have something online where I put in a search, how to deliver the perfect eulogy, how to deliver a compelling eulogy, how to put together memories of a friend for a eulogy, something you can have all kinds of tag words along with that direct people to your product for $4 and 95 cents. They can download your personal steps, how to do that, how to produce a eulogy that's going to be remembered forever by the people who are in attendance. Yes, you can do that. Take your skills and put it in that kind of format because then you have leverage and scalability that you're never going to have doing it one-on-one. Now it put in, do a search, how to deliver a perfect toast. Now, one of the things you're going to show right away is you're going to go, here's another way to go. If you go to, if you go just to eBay and put in Tom Antion, Tom, A-N-T-I-O-N, Tom's a friend of mine, been in speaking motivational business for years and years. You put in his information, you're going to get a ton of information from Tom. Now here's things that he has free publicity, online publicity, be your own publicist. You can get his audio program on that for $14.95 on eBay, internet marketing economics, improve your website, 60 tips in 60 minutes. You get his downloadable audio program on that $14.95 internet marketing, skyrocket profits with articles, uh, the ultimate professional speaking package. And he has one on how to, how to provide the perfect toast. You know, you're know that your best man or maid of honor. You're going to be asked to do a toast tomorrow at a wedding tomorrow evening. How do you do that? I mean, most people don't have any experience in doing a toast. How do you do that? Again, we've all heard ones that have been done extremely well. And those that have been an absolute crash. Tom has some, a program on how to produce a perfect toast every time. Um, new breed of speaker, how to become an infopreneur, how to make video landing pages, internet market, how to start blogs to promote your business. I mean, the products that he has, Tommy Antion on eBay are endless. And then he's got one that combines everything for $695. You get all of those. But the point is he has these things out here creating income for him while he's sound asleep. So if you put together your little product in the same way as he's done and your information is how to do a eulogy, yes, you're going to be able to sell product on that. You can experiment. Now I, I said 495 as I look at these, I was surprised to see that Tom has his, these little short audio programs at 1495. Now he's a very experienced marketer. So there's certainly reason for that. And apparently people are willing to pay 1495. You know, if it's crutch time, you're going to have to deliver a eulogy tomorrow boom, you're going to worry about whether it's four ninety five or fourteen ninety five. You're going to get the information. And here's the other thing too. You may think, well, there's a lot of free information on the, out there about how to do a eulogy. And there is. However, oftentimes if there is a charge, the perception is that, Ooh, this is really the good stuff. Yeah. There's all this free crap out here, but to really get the good stuff, it's fourteen ninety five. I mean, I think that a lot. 
mean, I pay for all kinds of things on the internet in terms of information, even when there's tons of things that are related to it that are free. Sometimes what I pay for isn't really any better than what was free, but sometimes it is. But there's an easy perception that, well, I need to do this if I want the real deal. So I'm going to go ahead and pay for it. That's the way to turn that into money. I got carried away in the answer, but I love the, I love the idea. I love the question. And yes, you can make money from that. Like anything that you have as a talent, if you really use good business principles to position it well, Trent. Okay. I'm looking for a job. He says, but I think it's best that my current employer doesn't know about my job search. So I have not listed the specific company I work for on my resume, only the type of company and am avoiding talking to people about my search who may have contact with my employer. Do you think this is a wise decision? No, I don't. I I think it's going to be seen as really lame to have a resume where it doesn't show where you work currently, where there's any question about that at all. If you're in the job search arena, then recognize you're in the job search arena. Don't try to keep it a secret. It's no secret to employers that 80% of the people they have working for them today are looking for other positions to see if there's anything better out there. That's okay. That's not an unhealthy or disloyal kind of phenomenon at all. I mean, that's perfectly fine, good, positive, expected, and certainly indicative of the workplace we live in today. When we see the number of those who are unemployed, it has very little relevance to the number who are in the job search arena. I mean, we can be at 5% unemployment, which we would consider full employment at any given time. We're going to have at least 5% who are in transitions or taking a little break. So let's just say that we were at 5% unemployment. So you run an ad in the paper for a position and you get 800 respondents. You think, well, that's strange. I thought everybody is working. There's a whole lot of people who are fully engaged today working who are looking for other opportunities. I mean, there are a lot of employers who run ads and then watch who responds wondering if they run blind ads, you know, for position titles and then see their own employees applying for those positions. It lets them know that, yeah, we got people working under our own roof who are looking for other opportunities. Don't be secretive about it. I mean, if you do anything in a job search arena at all, if you go on LinkedIn and look for a connection. That's very easy to track. So just be aware it's going to be trackable. Be prepared to deal with it. If it comes up with your employer, if they ask you, you can tell them, sure, you know, I just want to make sure of my marketability. I want to make sure that I'm using my skills in the best possible way. I mean, that's not going to be a, a downer at all. We have people who come into 48days.net and they do a blog you know, gee, what would you do if you were in a company where you didn't believe in the company or the service? And then they, then they write back immediately panicked. Oh my gosh, I did a Google search and I put in my name and that blog shows up. You know, I don't want that. Well, you have to recognize if you get into the social network arena, those new blogs like that, even inside a site like 48days.net are very Google sensitive. That information is going to be out there and rightfully so. So if you don't want anything out there, just stay under the radar, but then you're not a player. I mean, this is a kind of a catch 22 because the first thing that a company will do if they in fact are considering you as a candidate is to do a Google search on you. I mean, I can name names about companies that I know who, I mean, that's what they're interested in. Resume is secondary. If they look at it at all, what they're really going to look for is what kind of activity are you involved in out there? 
What are the things that you're putting on Facebook? What are the social networks that you're involved in? What are you telling other people on LinkedIn about what you're looking for in a job? So no, it's not a good idea to have a resume without your current company on it. Nope. Going to be seen as lame. Can't do that. Be prepared to deal with whatever the consequences that you think may be, but have the name on there and be ready to go. Steven says, it's from Alabama. Dan, I'm having a hard time understanding how an entrepreneur is supposed to manufacture a product they created and a people like, for example, purposes, let's say someone makes a custom light fixture that utilizes different metals and other material. People like the product and want more. How do you keep the cost down since you don't need a massive order of material? Basically without huge orders, how do you keep from paying at cost or can you not avoid it? I know making custom things isn't as good as selling something, but my passion is creating your help is appreciated. Well, Stephen, it's not uncommon what you're, what you're presenting here and certainly not unreasonable at all. Anytime you do something that's a custom design, you ought to get more money for it. I mean, it just goes without saying, if you get something off, if, if Joanne buys a, some address off the rack at Macy's, She's going to pay X number of dollars for it. If she has somebody tailor make a dress for her because we're getting ready to go on a cruise, we know that's going to be a whole lot more money. The custom attention, the personalized fit and all of that is going to command a higher price. So that's not to be unexpected. If you're making lamps, now I assume you're doing something else because you just use this as an example, but if you're making lamps for people, sure you're going to get a much higher price for those. If you're integrating, I mean, I, I would be a sucker for like a lamp with old car parts integrated into it or something, just whatever as an example. But to do that and to custom make one of those, I know that's going to be a lot more than just walking into Haverty's and pulling something off the shelf that was made in China where they did 10,000 of exactly the same pattern. I mean, the cost comes down when you duplicate something over and over and over again. So anything that's custom made, yeah, just you justify a higher cost for that. You don't have to try to be competitive with other products that are the same kind of product, but are being mass produced. I mean, we have, as I speak here, and most of you are regular listeners know that when I'm doing this podcast, there's a group of women who are in an art class just on the other side of my door. They fill the sanctuary here. They come and do art together. What they do as art is never going to be in the same category as if I go to Kmart and I pull some kind of a print off the wall off there that I want to decorate the wall in one of our offices. I mean, it's a different thing. You're not comparing apples and apples at all. So don't apologize for the fact that your material is your things are much more expensive. Rightfully so they should be. Here's a question. This comes This says, uh, Dan, I was wondering if you have experienced any turnover rates for your contract positions. I know you said you've had no employees. That's true. So I was wondering in some positions, do they leave because they have the need for medical benefits? Do you get any resentment or questions about providing health insurance? I'm kind of perplexed because I would have thought that doing business with someone, if you value them, I would kind of feel obligated to provide some kind of health insurance for that individual. I would feel awful if something happened to them and they didn't have any insurance. I thought that's how you keep a good employee. You give them benefits. Well, times are changing. I mean, things are changing. But when you look at what you're talking about here, I use a lot of independent contractors and virtual assistants. I mean, that's what our workforce is made up of. That includes even my daughter. 
you know, who's an independent contractor, my son-in-law, independent contractor. I prefer to keep it that way. It means that I have a much simpler business. I don't see myself as a good employee manager. I don't want to show up in the morning and have 30 people where we have committee meetings and all that. It's structured much differently to embrace what it, how I'm wired and what I do well. And you can do the same, but back to your question. Because I do have independent contractors, it would be a real gray area in terms of the IRS's evaluation of that. If I offered them health insurance, I can't offer health insurance to independent contractors. It violates the definition of independent contractors. Let's just say that, um, let's say that I really like the guys who do my yard work. I've had the same guys, you know, for 10 years. And so in order to keep them and really reward them, I offer them health insurance. That would be a really artificial thing to even bring up or have on the radar. I mean, they may have 60 other customers. Do those other customers feel obligated as well to provide health insurance? I mean, you can see how that gets messy really quickly. No, somebody who positions themselves as an independent contractor, virtual assistant, freelancer, entrepreneur, whatever you want to call them, they then have the obligation to take care of their own health insurance. That should not come from somebody who provides work for them. It's just part of the work agreement. Nobody's taking advantage of anybody. It's just part of the changing times. And no, I have never had that conversation with any of our independent contractors that now, and I'm sure I've had a conversation where I directed them to good sources for that, but I've never had a conversation that implied that I was somehow responsible for their health insurance because I was providing, I don't care if they're, if I'm providing 90% of the work they're doing, it just doesn't fit with that model. And again, I hope that doesn't sound, you know, cold and callous. That's not the point at all. Yes, I do hope they have health insurance. And yes, I would feel terrible if something happened to them and they didn't have insurance, but it's not on me to take care of that. I mean, this is just part of being responsible it's, we have to recognize what, what it does. It really expects more of the independent contractor in terms of being a rational, mature, sophisticated, confident person. I mean, if I have babies working for me, if then, yeah, I, I'm going to feel the need to take care of, you know, gee, I, if I provide health insurance, maybe I ought to provide lunch for them as well you know, and give them a two week vacation. But we're back into that model, the employee mentality where, gee, the company owes me all these things. No, if somebody establishes themselves on their own as an independent contractor, then they recognize with that comes the obligation to take care of their own retirement, health insurance. And that's a direction that we're all going. I mean, that's not going to be a surprise to anybody. Companies are even established companies with traditional employees are moving away rapidly from providing those kind of benefits. We all better get used to taking care of those things on our own. Dan, I have passions, but they're random. Answering the, if you could do anything question gets answers ranging from finding classic, classic cars for buyers to singing, to becoming a mechanic, to acting and so on help. Well, it's great to have multiple passions. But that doesn't mean they need to all be turned into income generators. Some passions are just meant to be enjoyed. In Nashville, in Franklin, Tennessee, where I live, there's a whole lot of people whose passion is music. That should come as no surprise because there's, there's a whole lot of people in this town whose passion is music. I embrace that. That's cool. All right. 
your passion. You discovered a drum set when you were 10 years old. And so you've always loved music, but a lot of people get artificially trapped in thinking, well, that's my passion. So I can't do anything else. Now, this again is kind of a circular argument because if your passion is music and you haven't figured out a way to have that generate income, you need to move on. Now, wow, how would I say that? Would I encourage somebody to move away from their passion into doing just something random to generate income? Well, yes, as a matter of fact, I would. If you can't generate income with your passion, it's time to move on. But here's the other part. Here's the rest of the story, so to speak, Paul Harvey-ish. The rest of the story is we discover our passions by doing something. We don't discover our passions by sitting in a vacuum where we're out sitting on a stump in the middle of a field and boom, our passion comes to us. No, we discover our passion because we had the opportunity to play the guitar when you were 10 years old. And in doing so, you developed a passion. You develop skill and interest in a particular area before you develop a passion. Passion doesn't just originate on its own. So my point in this is, you haven't figured out how to wait, how to generate income, provide for your family with music or art or whatever it is that you want to do. My encouragement is get involved in something else. It can be in selling cars or in building houses or in mowing lawns. And guess what? In doing a variety of things, you'll discover other passions that you have. Passion is not a one-time thing. It's not an only one kind of thing. So in getting involved in other things, and doing those, even if you feel like in the, at the beginning of it, it's just out of necessity. That's still a legitimate way to ultimately discover a new passion. That's a really important point for you to understand that's how this works. Well, I'm going to scan over, pick out just a couple more questions here for this edition of 48 Days Online Radio. This is Dan Miller, your host. Delighted to be with you each session that we do here Looking at your real-life questions. If you got a question, go to the 48days.com link, website, click on the podcast tab, and you'll be shown an opportunity to submit your question for consideration here. Be happy to do that. Let me grab just a couple more. Randall says, I'm 51, been with the same company for 30 years. I never liked my job. My pension from work will never amount to enough to really, to really retire. My question, when should I retire? Should I put in 11 more years to reach maximum benefit or get out soon with less retirement money, but more time to build another income? Wow. Golly, did you pack a lot into those short, three short sentences there, Randall? All right, 51 years old, same company for 30 years, never liked your job. Your pension will never amount to enough to really retire. All right, that's real critical. When should I retire? Should I put in 11 more years? So here we've got multiple bad choices. You're 51. Should you put in 11 more years, putting you at 62, but you're in a company that you don't like, a job you don't like, and you know that even projecting out another 11 years, the retirement provided for that company will not be enough to retire on. Can I say, get out of town, get out of Dodge, You've got to do it. There is nothing that you've described in this little scenario that would 
require or would give you good rationale for staying where you are. You have got to create a 30 day plan, move into something that is more fulfilling and more rewarding financially. You you, got to start with the belief that's possible. Don't think that leaving a job that stinks where you don't make enough money, you where if you leave, you're going to go to a job that stinks even more and makes even less money. I mean, assume that if you leave, you're going to move into a job that you really love where you'll make twice the income, create a plan, go through the principles I lay out in 48 days. You can do that. Let me grab one more here. I mentioned in the, in the intro and I want to make sure that I include it. Hi, I got interested in the piano tuning area, so I called to request a free catalog about the school, et cetera, and the lady I talked with basically told me I was too old to start this. I'm almost 60. I was really disappointed. Oh, well, maybe she was right. Oh, my God. You're... Hey, this is one lady. Tell the lady to take a hike. Tell her she's too old to be talking on the phone. I don't care. I mean, you don't have to be rude, but my goodness, don't accept information from one individual as being the predictor of what your life is going to be. You decide what you're going to do at this season in your life. You decide what you're going to go into. If you can be excited about something, you can create a plan, put together a little business plan for what you would be doing with piano tuning. My goodness, if you love music, you love pianos, you love being in people's homes, everything fits. You go through some little uh, very short-term inexpensive training program, which I know is a factor out there. It's one of the ideas I have in the uh, Dan's 48 low-cost business ideas. But if you want to go through that at 61, you could spend the next 20 years I mean, tuning pianos, you could make more money in that period of time than you did in your whole working lifetime prior to now. You could have the enjoyment of being with people, giving them pleasure in what you're doing. I mean, you could do schools, universities, churches. You could specialize. You could do funeral parlors. I mean, there's so many tangents to what you could do here to make a fulfilling life for yourself. Don't you dare allow one person to redirect you or to stop you from moving in that direction. Please, please, please. Well, hey, we've had a lot to, a lot to talk about. Love your questions every week. Shoot those questions in. Get involved in the 48days.net community. Let us know what you're doing to find or create work that is meaningful, purposeful, productive, and profitable. Plenty of opportunities out there. We don't need to worry about the economy or who's in political power. It's your life. You be the determiner of what that life looks like tomorrow. 